but we're in Galatians chapter 1 and Galatians chapter 2 today. And so if you're joining us and maybe you haven't read your Bible in a while, Galatians is in the New Testament. It's after the Gospels. It's after the book of Acts and then after, after the book of Romans. And then you'll start seeing letters by the Apostle Paul. You'll see First and Second Corinthians. Then you'll see some letters that he wrote in prison. And one of the letters that he wrote while he was in prison for preaching the Gospel was the letter uh, to the Galatian churches. So we're in Galatians chapter 1 and Galatians chapter 2. And so we'll spend most of our time in the second half of Galatians chapter 2, but we have to give a little bit more context as to what's going on. So last week, if you were here, or you can watch it later uh, on our app or on the website, you can see that we spent about nine minutes going over a synopsis of the book from our friends at Read Scripture and the Bible Project, and they gave us a good overview of, of the letter that Paul writes to these churches in Galatia. So now we're going to start uh, unpacking it a little bit more and diving deeper into what, uh, what actually transpired. And so the point of this letter is what does it mean to actually stand on the grace that Jesus Christ gives us? And so a, a good biblical definition of this word grace is something that you and I already know but I think sometimes we forget, and I think we, we, we try to make it like this lofty goal to get the grace of God. But when you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have been given all of the grace of God that you're ever going to get. You don't need any more grace. You've received all of it. So what does grace mean? So anybody here who's had a credit card knows, or has any kind of bill knows what grace is. Let's say you're a little behind, and let's say you don't have money, and your check doesn't come in till like the 10th, and the bill is due on the 9th. You ever been there before, right? Every one of us that raised our hand, Dave Ramsey, would kill us right now. But right, that's, that, that's what it means, right, that we have bills that are due, and we don't have enough money. And so sometimes you'll call the bank or the one that loans you the money, and you'll say, hey, it's just really short. And they'll, they'll give you something. They may give you an extended what? Grace period, right? That means from that day to whatever day that they set, you won't get charged any interest. There's no penalty and, but as long as you pay it by that date, right? They're giving you grace. What the word grace really means is this unmerited favor. That, that's, it's something that we didn't earn. So if we flip that and talk about it in the, in the Bible sense, in, in the sense of Christianity, grace is basically getting all the gifts and blessings and a vernacular way that some may say it is the perks of being a child of God. And mercy is not getting what we deserve because we were enemies of God before we received Jesus Christ as our Savior. So mercy is Jesus Christ dying on the cross taking the price of our sin, now that we have forgiveness, we don't have to spend eternity separated from God in the place that the Bible describes as hell. That's mercy. What grace is, is now that you and I are a child of God and we did nothing to be born into God's family, he literally grafted us in by dying on the cross. Now we are joint heirs with Jesus. We, we are part of the resurrection. We have eternal life. We have forgiveness of sins. We now have this, and the other part of grace is we have this supernatural enabling to live a life that's pleasing to God that we couldn't do before. That's what grace is. And this book talks about not only what grace is, but why is it important that we stand on what grace is all about? Because inside of biblical grace, there is biblical freedom. Freedom, meaning that you finally don't have to work your way to heaven. Freedom, meaning that you don't have to work your way to have favor or any kind of standing with God. You don't have to... Uh, 
perform sacrifices. You don't have to pay indulgences. You don't have to do things that a lot of mainline religions say that you have to do in order to earn favor with God. There is no different types of status of Christians when, when it comes to Jesus Christ. There's no VIP room in heaven. All of us are saved because of the grace of God through Jesus Christ dying for our sins. And those of us who have ever been a part of organized religion outside of biblical Christianity, when we think about who we were before we came to Jesus, all of us will give a hearty amen that we are free from all that junk. That we don't have to go to a priest anymore. That there's not these different levels of what it means to be spiritual. There's no hierarchy. There is us and Jesus. And that type of freedom is beautiful and rich. But if it's not explained or taught clearly, if we don't get into the word of God, that freedom can also be dangerous. Because freedom really means freedom. And so if we don't confine ourselves to what the word of God says are the inbounds, and we use the freedom to do whatever we think we want, we trample on the grace that God has given us. And that those things that we do outside of the healthy boundaries of the word of God literally leads us back into slavery over freedom. We start being what we used to be when we start going outside of the bounds of the word of God. And so these are the major themes of the book of Galatians. And if you remember in chapter 1, Paul starts out greeting the church, and he uses the title apostle immediately because he does have authority as an apostle, someone who was, who was taught directly by Jesus Christ, and he writes to the pastor and to these, these Christians in this church, and he tells them, hey, I'm, I'm shocked. I'm saddened, but I'm, I'm really more shocked that you would move from this freedom that you have to go back and follow a different gospel. And right away, it's like the Holy Spirit knew what this church was going to say. No, no, Paul, we haven't gone to another gospel. What are you talking about? So Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes right after, he says this. It's not a different gospel. It's not a complete different religion. But some of you would cause you to go back to where you once were, and, 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 they're, and they're tainting what the Word of God says. And then we introduce these, these people that we've spoken about before, these, these group of so-called believers who were spewing out this false teaching. And the false teaching was conniving. And it was very, it was very subtle in the beginning. And I don't know whether or not that these Christians, and we'll call them the, the Judaizers, because they wanted to add Judaism to biblical Christianity, the, the, the things that happened in the Old Testament and not tie it in with Jesus Christ. They wanted to add the freedom that we had in Christ. They wanted to add to it all of these things that Christians still had to do to remain Jewish and also Christian, right? The problem with that is that's not what Jesus is all about. It's Jesus plus nothing. If we add anything to Jesus Christ dying for our sins, if we, have any, if we add any kind of religious sacrament or requirement or ordinance, in order for us to have to earn favor with God to keep our salvation, we have gone off the rails. When we, when we go to take communion together later on during the service, this is to remind us of what Jesus did. This, doesn't, this is not like maintenance for us to stay saved. Because any kind of salvation that requires maintenance is a ghetto salvation. It's bootleg. 
You could might as well buy stuff off the streets in New York. You know what I'm saying? Like, if you if you take anything, if you add anything to Jesus, you just made Jesus less of who Jesus actually is. My salvation is maintained by the blood of Jesus, which never runs out. So we do things in order for us to remember. God gives us God. We live a godly life not to maintain salvation. The Bible gives us the strength and the grace to live a godly life in order to please him. And that's the big difference. So these, these, these Christians that were in the church, these Jewish Christians, some of them did it just out of the fact that they wanted to stay traditional to what they remember. It was just easier. Right? Imagine, just imagine the, the religions that you and I came out, came out of. And maybe some of the things that they did were okay. And maybe you missed some of those things because maybe your religion is tied into your family or tied into your childhood, right? Or tied into your culture or tied into where you used to come from. And, and you've been saved out of those things. And maybe, not only that, maybe some of us have gone to churches before we, we landed here at, at the rock. And, and maybe they preach the gospel, but you know that everything else was either possibly shallow or a little left of center, and the Holy Spirit started saying, ah, these little things aren't right, but you remember, because that's the church you grew up in, right? That's the one that grandma took you to, that's the one that, you know, your family may still go to. It's the one that you get grief every Thanksgiving over because you're here and they're there, right? That stuff, right? Imagine if you just decided, you know what, I can do both. Maybe, maybe I can serve Jesus and still you know, do some of these things just, just to make just to make my parents happy, just to make my family happy, because then, you know, Christmas would be better. The gifts may get bigger. You know, something could be different. Maybe, maybe we don't have to hear it every time we go home that we've forgotten where we've came from, right? Maybe we can do both of these things. But what you find out is the things that you that you want to do in order to remain your culture, in order to remain your family status, are things that are contrary to what Jesus died for. It can't be Jesus plus what you grew up with. It has to be Jesus. And if you grew up with Jesus, you're in great shape. But if you grew up with anything but just Jesus, I need you to pay attention for a little bit. Because culture doesn't trump what the blood of Jesus did for us. Okay? Ethnicity doesn't trump what Jesus Christ did for us. We are a new creature, a new peculiar royal priesthood because of Jesus Christ. If you are, I I dare to say, if you are in this room and you believe in Jesus Christ, you and I are closer than some of my own blood relatives because the blood of Jesus is stronger than DNA. The, The Bible literally says we are new Creatures, a new creation in Jesus Christ. My soul has a different DNA than the rest of my body. We're different. And so for those of us who've been involved in any type of organized religion, we know, for especially when we see somebody that we know and that we love, Jesus, go back to what we're saved from, man, that really ticks us off. It bothers us, it burns us, and that's, that's the drive that Paul has in this letter. That's the, the, the shock that he feels. How could you go back? How could you? Not, not like, hey, you're not a part of our circle anymore. How could you leave our camp? It's like, no. How could you leave the thing that set you free? So in this letter, 
he's going to talk about grace, but he talks about it from a very authoritative standpoint. And the reason why he does is because not only is he declaring the word of God, and anyone who, who attempts or anyone who is set out or called to preach the word of God does so with authority because we're preaching the words of Christ, not the words of Rob. And so I have authority when I speak because I know what the word of God has done in my life, and I know that it can change your life. But there's another part of this before we get into Galatians chapter 2 that's important. There is the grace. We all are a level at the foot of the cross. But make no mistake about it. Each and every one of us are at different stages of our journey when it comes to the grace of God. And not every one of us is going to be called to be in certain authority stations in our church. Like, not everybody's going to be called to be a pastor. Not everybody's going to be called to be a missionary. Not everybody's going to be called to do certain things. But every single one of us is called to be free. And in that freedom, the Holy Spirit gives us the grace to choose to submit to whatever authority God says is in the word of God. So in the family, that begins with the husband leading his household well. And a lot of us, a lot of a lot of the ladies in this church have been picking up the slack because us men, we've been lazy at this spiritual leadership thing. And we get mad and we're like, well, I don't know why you don't respect me. I don't, and then we're the ones staying home watching the football game while they're bringing the kids to church. No wonder they don't respect you. Or you're spending 12, 14 hours at work and you're not leading your family in devotions and, and you're okay with the wife doing it because I'm bringing home the bacon. There's a reason why authority structures are messed up in our country. It's because the men inside Bible-believing churches are not doing what we're supposed to be doing. And we're supposed to lead. But then we go over to the church. And in the church, you either have pastors who are embezzling money, pastors who are philandering with other women. You have pastors who, who have more money than everyone in their entire congregation because they taught them if they give more, they'd be blessed more. And so you have pastors going around with $4,000 sneakers, 50,000 watches, and you wonder why people don't want to follow pastoral leadership, even though it's in the Bible that the, that the church submits to the authority of the elders because we're the ones, the elders are the ones, no board, no committee, the Elders are the ones that answers to God for how the church does. Me and Tony and Jim Sheely and Kevin and Jim Hicks, we take it really seriously, our calling. Pray for us. But we do have authority. And it's, hum it's humiliating, this authority. Because we're the ones that have to tell you you may not be living right. We're the ones that have to deal with it when, when, when there's a loss or where there's, we're the ones, our spouses help carry this weight. It's a lot. And Paul has carried all this weight. And so when he sees them leave what they've learned, it, are you kidding me? Why would you go back to that? So here's what he talks about. If we look at the second half, before we get into Galatians chapter two, and I'll read it for you because you probably don't have slides on the second half of one. He brings up a story. I know we went over it in, in the in the video, but I want to bring up in verse 18 of chapter 1, uh, this is what Paul says. Then after three years, I did go up. So three years since he, since he got saved. Okay, thanks. Then after three years, I did go up to Jerusalem to get to know Cephas. Remember we said last week, who's Cephas? What's his other name? Peter, right? Peter, one of the people closest to Jesus Christ, right? One of the first apostles recognized by both Gentiles and Jews as not only a church leader, but a good dude, right? So here's what he says. And I stayed with him for 15 days, right? 
And I'm saying, there was a struggle between Paul and Peter, but like anybody who stays with you longer than 15 days is going to be trouble anyway, right? That's why we would keep vacation time to no more than two weeks, right? Because after that, everybody needs to go back to their own house, right? Something like that happened here. But I didn't see any of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. He's the pastor of the Jerusalem church. I declare in the sight of God, I'm not lying in what I write to you. Afterward, I went to the regions of Caesarea and Sicilia. I remained personally unknown to the Judean churches that are in Christ, but they kept hearing, simply kept hearing, he who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God because of me. Now, we went over this a little bit, and I want to just kind of bring it in because, you know, just because the translators put chapters and verses into these letters, right? This was written like a letter. Like, Paul didn't go like, okay, now verse 2. No, he just kept writing. So the end of chapter 1 dovetails right into chapter 2. So here's the story. He's referring to something that happened in the book of Acts. Uh, Paul goes up to Jerusalem three years after he came to Jesus to, to meet the founders of the faith, right? I mean, this is still first century. This is, this, is a, this is a big deal. It's a big trip to go. And because now he feels like he's been called to be an apostle, he wants to meet the other ones. He wants to get some confirmation that this is where God is leading him, especially because even though he, was, he grew up Jewish, studied Jewish, became religiously a Jew, Paul was primarily called to preach to who? Gentiles, everybody else. And, the, and, and it, by now, the story has traveled that Peter received a vision a while ago that the Gentiles were also included in salvation. And so he's the one that would be the best person to hang out with, right? So he goes and he hangs out with Peter. While he's there, they're, they're hanging out with some Christians and, and, and a lot of Gentile Christians who came to know Jesus. And then all of a sudden, um, these, these, Pharisees, these Jewish Christians came in and they were ones that tried to keep to the, the law and also follow Jesus. And when the Jewish people came in, Peter gets away from the table of the Gentiles and he goes sit somewhere else. I mean, you may not think it's a big deal, but like this is probably as bad as there being, you know, white and colored tables back in the 50s. I mean, and, and, he, and he, what they weren't even labeled that way. He literally got up because he didn't want to offend the Jewish Christians that he was probably pastoring and reaching and he went over to the Gentiles and Paul stands up and goes, yo, what are you doing? Like literally just gets up and says, this is not right. And he tells them, what's the difference between them and them? We all agree that everyone comes to Jesus the same way. And Peter got it handed to him that day. And what that showed was that Paul had just the same amount of authority that Peter did as an apostle. And so it not only confirmed, and so that's what he says later on in chapter, the, the last two verses in chapter one, I went to Sicilia, I went to Syria, I left, because now he understands, he has confirmation that, man, I was able to stand up to one of the greatest leaders of the faith, and he agreed with me that he was wrong. And so that gave him affirmation, that gave him confirmation that even though that we're all level at the foot of the cross, he has a calling on his life, an authority that's placed, that was what? Confirmed by one of the leaders of the church that this is the way that he should go, and he continued to preach. And he said, hey, it really wasn't that, the, and, it, and even though he had the authority that gave him confidence, it wasn't his authority that changed anybody's life. What does it say? Look at verse 23. They simply kept hearing what? Because look, at verse 22, I remained personally unknown to the Judean churches that are in Christ. Why? Because they didn't know who Paul was, right? But they simply kept hearing this. He who formerly, 
formerly persecuted us, now preaches the faith that he once tried to destroy. So even though he spends most of his time away from Jerusalem, the reports keep getting back to the church and to the Jewish believers. What? Paul, the guy who once wanted to kill us, the guy who was so Jewish, he wanted Christians dead, now only preaches the, the faith that we preach. It caused them to glorify God, that God can change a life. And this is why Paul is telling the church this. He's not trying to bring up the authority that, that he has so much, but he's saying, listen to what God is doing. Listen to how God is using me because it caused me not only to go from wanting to see any other type of, of, of any Christian killed because I was, a, I was a Jew, those who were scared of me now glorify God because of the change in my life. And more than anything, what I pray for us as a church is that the grace of God causes people who don't know Jesus and people who do know Jesus to glorify God because he's what he's, what he's doing through us. It's not about the numbers. It's not about the, it's about what? That other people come to Jesus and people are glorified because of what God is doing here at the rock. That's, that's what we want. So then he gets into chapter two. Let's all stand please in respect for the reading of God's word. Galatians chapter 2. So now we're talking 14 years later, okay? Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along also. I went up according to the revelation and presented to them the gospel I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to those recognized as who? Leaders, right? I wanted to be sure I was not running, and I had not been running in vain, but not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because of some of the false brothers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom that we have in Christ Jesus in order to enslave us. But we did not give up and submit to these people even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel would be preserved for you. Now, from those recognized as important, what they once were makes no difference to me, but God, God does not show favoritism. They added nothing to me. On the contrary, they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel for the uncircumcised, just as Peter was for the circumcised. Since, since the one at work in Peter for an apostleship to the circumcised was also at work in me for the Gentiles. When James, Cephas, and John, those recognized as pillars, acknowledged the grace that had been given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to me and Barnabas, agreeing that we should go to the Gentiles and, and, they, and they to the circumcised. They only asked that we would remember the poor, which I made every effort to do. And then he comes back. And when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For he regularly ate. And then he tells a story about what happens. Okay. So look at verse 15. We are the Jews by birth and not gentle sinners. And yet, because we know that person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Christ, even we ourselves have believed in Jesus. This was so that we might be justified by the faith in Christ, not by the works of the law, but by the works of no human being will, being will be justified. But if we ourselves are also found to be sinners while seeking to be justified by Christ, is Christ then a promoter of sin? Absolutely not. For if I rebuild those things that I tore down, I show myself to be a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I did not set aside the grace of God, for if any righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died for nothing. 
My friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks for standing. You can be seated. So Paul goes up. Paul goes up to Jerusalem. Now, why? Why does Paul go up? If Paul has already thinks that he's affirmed, he spent time with Peter, he understands his authority, why in the world does Paul go up to Jerusalem? And this is the one thing that, 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 that we need to bring up. One of the, the things, especially in First and Second Corinthians, Paul talks a lot about the problems with these false teachers, the problems with these Judaizers. And one of the things, and he talks about it later, he says how there were false brothers who tried to stop them, who tried to put them back in slavery. He wanted them to do, they wanted the Christians to not only be Christian, but also be Jewish, right? He says, when I, when I was free from all those things, and I started preaching the gospel, this message not only didn't sit well with those Judaizers inside the church, we know from church history, we know from reading the book of Acts, this definitely did not sit well with who? the Roman government, and the religious authorities, and they were in cahoots, and Paul had the threat of life on him all the time, the threat of death on him all the time. Uh, when he writes this letter, he's in prison. Uh, when he writes 2 Timothy, he'll be killed soon after for being, for being a, a preacher of the gospel, not a criminal, somebody who preached the gospel. Paul talks about, in his, in his letters, he talks about being shipwrecked. He talks about being beaten. He talks about one time being so beaten that he thought that he basically died. He says, I saw the third heaven, but then God sent him back because he wasn't done yet. So he was beaten and bludgeoned to death. All for what? Preaching the gospel. He said, I've, he goes, I know, I know how to live with a lot. I know how to live with a little. He knows, I, I've been, all these things have happened to me. Why? And he, say, he always says this, and he says this several times in his letters. He says, I've, I've been persecuted and I've been tried in order that the gospel would go forth, that it would be furthered through him, right? So he said he counts everything joy. Why? Because everything that's happened to him has made the gospel go what? Farther. So he looks to his experience. He looks back, especially later when he writes and he's getting older, he looks back to the experience that he had as being one of the reasons why he feels like how he is a strong leader, right? And, and, and a leader that's been tried. And one of the things that he says that he says that for the church to watch out for these leaders, these Judaizers are, is that they haven't been through the things that people who really preach the gospel go through. They are not the ones that you should follow. He tells them, man, the Judaizers, they've never been beaten. They've never been tortured. They've never been shipwrecked. No, they come when I leave, the cowards that they are. And they say, Paul's not here. Paul doesn't know what he's talking about. Let us teach you. And they would walk into church with the pharisaical robes. And, then, and, they, and people would be enamored by their education. And they wouldn't say, don't follow Jesus. But after a while, you, the red flags would go up. Wait, follow Jesus and do what? Follow Jesus and go where? Follow Jesus and not eat what? All of that stuff came out later, and Paul said, look at me, look at my ministry, look what God has done through us. This is how you know who to follow. And if you look at First and Second Timothy, if you look in Titus, it, it's clearly spelled out that we follow those who have certain characteristics, certain, certain types of life experiences. There's a reason why other elders pray on other elders and lay their hands on to show that now the experience of us now affirm that this person is also called. Even though we are all level at the foot of the cross, those of us that are part of a local church must understand that there are things that we can learn from those that God has placed a calling on. It's not an ego trip. 
It's how we survive to the next generation. And so when he does this, he says the Judaizers never went through all these things. They never did. They never were followers of Jesus. They wanted to be leaders in the law. And we know this. Leader, leaders come from being what? First good followers. The more experiences that you have are what causes you to be able to give a, be an example to other people. If you have no experience, you have no examples. And this is what Paul is saying. These leaders have no experience at all of really suffering for Jesus or being called by Jesus or even by knowing really what the Word of God says. They know the law. They don't know what Jesus Christ had done for them. So we don't just follow people because they're older than us. We follow people who have been who have been through it because they can tell you what it's like to be victorious on the other side. So being a leader comes from first knowing how to follow the right thing. Being an example starts by us having the right kind of experience. But thirdly, the only way that you're going to be able to provide advice to other people is by you stop being a novice and growing up in your faith. And this is why I try to tell you every week that it, we have to get into, you have to get into the Word of God by yourself. You have to go to people who have studied the Word of God. You, you, you should want to listen to, to good messages and good, and good teachings on what the Word of God says. You should be asking spiritual questions because if you're a novice, you can't give advice. You may have an opinion, but if you have nothing to back it up, you don't have good advice. And Paul's trying to tell them, this is what the problem is. So how does he share that in Galatians? Because remember, we need to look at the other books of the Bible, the other things that Paul has wrote, the history of Paul, and then tie it into what he's saying in Galatians. And what he's saying is this, okay, with all of that spiritual clout that I have, all this experience that I know God's going to give me, he still says, 14 years after being saved, he takes a trip to Jerusalem, and this is why. He goes with Barnabas, and he takes Titus, and why does he go? Because he wants to tell them the revelation that he received, and he wants to preach the gospel to the church leaders that he's been sharing with the Gentiles, and he goes where? Not to the whole church. He goes to the leaders. Why? He wants to be sure that he wasn't running and hadn't been doing anything in vain. Even though he knows God has a call in his life, even though he has experience, he still submits himself to leaders who are above him. Why? To make sure that he's doing it right. Whenever I have a question, whenever I'm not sure about the way that I'm running, I have four elders I can go to to make sure. Hey, am I doing this right? It's why the elders meet a lot. <laughs> And text a lot. Except for Jim, we only get yes and no because Jim Hicks doesn't know his smartphone. He's not here today, but he's going to see this later. But, you know, but he, but he, but he, gives, us, he gives us something, right? And why, why do we do that? Why? Because this is how we stay of one mind, of one accord, and speak in one voice. And to lead you all correctly, we make sure what we're doing is correct. I have at least seven to ten pastors that I can call at any moment. If I'm in if I'm in duress or if I'm if I'm going through depression or if I just have a question, I have people that I can go to because no one is supposed to be doing this alone. No one is supposed to lead alone. And so Paul, an apostle, says, Man, I gotta 
I got to go to the Gen- I got to go to the Jerusalem church. Let me make sure. It's been 14 now, 15 years ago. No, it's about 17 because he's talking about how he went up three years and this, it's almost been 20, 20 years. And he's like, I, I got to make sure what I'm doing is right. Is this okay? You see, he knows God's moving. Remember, even though we see God quote unquote moving, it's never a bad idea to make sure that it's God that's moving and not us. Because there are a lot of successful people on their way to hell this morning. Do you know that? So we have to make sure. And this is the whole point of chapter 2. Because at this, we're going to see at the end, this is why it's about faith alone and Christ alone. Because he literally, this is what he goes to check with them. Is it really faith alone in Christ alone? This is what he wanted to make sure that that, that, was, that was correct teaching. So the first thing he says in verse 3, they didn't make Titus become circumcised even though he was Greek. Wouldn't it have been really messed up? Titus introduced himself. Hey, I'm Titus. Hey, I'm going to need to go behind the curtain there real quick. Thanks, buddy. I mean, how, how wrong would that be, right? For us, it sounds really weird, right? But he was like, yo, they didn't, they didn't make him go through this religious exercise because he was from Greece, right? They didn't make his Remember, Titus was half Jewish. Timothy was half Jewish. These guys were, you know, he's like, yeah, they didn't make him do that. So they must be okay. So he goes, the reason why I went, why did I go up? Why did I, why 14 years later do I go up? Because there were these false brothers in, in verse 4 that had infiltrated their ranks and told them that, uh, and, and they spied on the freedom and they wanted people to go back to living this religiously Jewish life and, and also being a believer. So he wants to make sure that what he's doing is, is the right thing. And then verse 6, here's how he, how he talks about them. Now, from those recognized as important, what they once were makes no difference to me. God doesn't show favoritism. So he goes, hey, this is, this is Paul's way of saying at the foot of the cross, it's level. Who they were before, what they did before didn't mean anything to me, right? Because God doesn't show favoritism, but he still went. Why? Because of who, the authority that they had. Because of the experience that they had. Because of the, the clout that they had as leaders. He goes, no, I got to go. I got to talk to these guys. They've been, do, they've, they've been doing it longer than I have. They have something to add to my, to my thought process. And he said, after all that, what does the end of verse 6 is? They added nothing to me. They said, no, what you're doing is correct. They added nothing to the gospel that I preached. I said, Paul said, I'm doing this. I'm saying this. These are the, this, is, this is the passage of Scripture that I bring them from the Old Testament to the New Testament. I tell them that it's, it's, it's trusting in Jesus Christ and Christ alone. There's nothing else. What do you guys think? And they go, no, that's, that's exactly right. Don't add anything to that. So verse 7, on the contrary, they saw that I had been trusted with the gospel for the uncircumcised, just as Peter was for the circumcised. And, they, and since, the work, since the work at one in Peter for an apostleship to the circumcised was also a work in me for the Gentiles. So they basically said, dude, Paul, you're like the Peter to the Gentiles. Peter is basically uh, one of our strongest preachers here the strongest person to evangelize to those who know the the Jewish faith and come from a Jewish background, Paul, you're clearly being used to preach to everybody else. So they put him at the same level of not only authority, but of experiential knowledge and character as the apostle Peter. Paul didn't give himself this title. They did. And so they say in verse 9, when James, Peter, and John, who were recognized as what? Pillars. These are, remember, we know them as what? 
Jesus's inner circle. They're the ones that spent the most time with Jesus, right? They acknowledged the grace that God had given him. And not only that, they extended the right hand of fellowship. They literally said, you are one of us. You are just like us. You are now the church to the Gentiles. But they added one thing. What did they tell him? Please don't neglect the poor. Please make sure that you do whatever you can to take care of the poor. Why? Do you think, do you think uh, humanitarian efforts are bad? No. Do you think feeding the poor is bad? Do you think that, you know, I mean, I know, I know some of like everybody needs to pick themselves up by their own bootstraps. Some people don't have bootstraps, guys. This stuff isn't bad. And in the first century church, this is how a lot of people knew who Christians were because of the way that they treated people without means. In the Old Testament, God would judge nations by the way they treated the poor. So this is one of the hallmarks. But is it, so do we go to, do we get closer to Jesus because we feed the poor? No. But it shows people that we love them because Jesus loves them. And so we should do whatever we can to help people in order for them to realize that God loves them. But if we just help people and don't show them how they can have a relationship with Jesus, then we've done it in vain. But this is what James talks about, that pure religion is to do what? To pray for the fatherless and actually to help people out. Why? Because that's what gives us the open door to share with them. And he says, especially, one of the reasons you'll find out later is the church, he tells the Gentile church, please take care of the poor because there's going to come a time of persecution and the poor and the church are going to get even poorer because they can't even go to the marketplace because of them being believers. They're, they're going to be marked. So he says, make sure to remember the poor. So he says all that. Now let's go down to verse 15. So why, why is that important? Why, why is it important to make sure we follow the right people and listen to the right things and that we, we make sure that we understand where we are experientially and where others may be ahead of us? And so we go to them for counsel and for, for, for teaching. We submit ourselves to the authority that we should because he's saying that there's a choice that this Galatian church has to make. Either they're going to follow the right leaders or they're not. And it's not, but it, now he's going to bring it back. It's not about following the right personality. It's following the correct message, okay? And that, that's what it was. One group was preaching the right message, and one group with no authority was definitely preaching a different message. So verse 15, he says, We are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, and yet because we know that a person is, now here's what he says, a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Christ. Okay? We are justified by what? Faith in Jesus. Now, we mentioned this word justification before. Justification isn't just just as if I have not sinned. It's more than that. Okay? It's, it's everything to what our faith is about. If you and I are not recognized by God as being forgiven because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, you and I are not on our way to heaven. Jesus Christ's sacrifice and his resurrection is literally what seals us to be forgiven and to be given eternal life. And so it's that important. We are justified. We, are, we have been paid for. We have been 
changed over because of Jesus. Okay, so now, with that being true, what was then happening at this church? Adding to that justification besides work, besides faith, they were adding works of the law. So, okay, so not just work, not just things, but things that were in the law, the Old Testament. Things like not eating certain food, right? Things like dressing a certain way. Things like not going a certain, uh, not, not doing a certain amount of work on the Sabbath. Things like um, being circumcised. All of these things. So basically, if, if you grew up in any kind of organized religion, think about all the steps that you would take leading up to, you know, confirmation or something like that, right? Like all that stuff, you had to keep doing that stuff. And then when you got confirmed or whatever, right, then you were at a next level of your faith. And so they added all of these things to it. And so Paul is saying we're not justified by works. We're only justified by Christ. Why? Because the works, is there's no there's no amount of religious things that you can do to pay the price for your sin and get you into heaven. Do you know that? You could stop sinning right now. And let's, I mean, this is the worst way to say it. Playing devil's advocate for a second, right? You, you, you could stop sinning right now and have a perfect life for the rest of your life. You're still going to have to answer for what you did before that moment. You get that, right? And since we know that's not true, the moment you say, I'm going to stop sinning, what happens usually five minutes later? Sinning again, right? This is why we need Jesus, because it's our, it's our character defects that are our sins. It's not the actions. It's who we are at our core that needs to be, but what? Not just fixed, but what? Eradicated and made brand new. The only reason that we're going, the only part of us that goes to heaven is our eternal soul. This body, this spirit will destroy, but my soul remains intact and brand new. My brand new soul, when I accept Jesus, is the thing that fights with the rest of me that still wants to do what it wants to do. And one of the things that my body wants to do, because some, think about this, especially for those of us who, who grew up in a, in a home where we had a, our, our parents had a strong work ethic, and we look back and all the stuff that our parents and our grandparents taught us about hard work and things like that, sometimes we're the hardest ones to come to Jesus. Because we need to feel something, we need to do something, we need something tangible to show what? Those of us that have been in the military or any kind of, 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 of ranking system, we know who people are based on their, their uniforms, right? And so for us, we want to have notches on our belt to show this is where we are with Jesus. And it's hard for some of us who work hard to realize there's no work that we can do to come to Jesus. And he's saying no work. No religious work that we can do will justify us with God. And he says, these, these one, on the one hand, these teachers are, these leaders are teaching you this. On the other hand, we only came to you with what? The gospel. But it's going to be up to them to, to, to decide. Verse 17, but if we ourselves are also to be found sinners while seeking to be justified by Christ, then is Christ then a promoter of sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild those things that I tore down, I show myself to be a lawbreaker. So here's what he's saying. If we said we have to be saved from our sins, and then we go back and saying that we have to do more, we're, are, we're promote, are we promoters of sin? Are we saying, hey, continue to sin? 
Romans puts it this way. Should we continue in sin so grace can abound? God forbid. Why would we do that? It makes no sense. Adding anything to maintain your salvation shows that Jesus Christ's sacrifice wasn't enough. The problem is you and I are going to continue to be lawbreakers for the rest of our life. 19, that's why 19 says, for through the law, I died to the law. What the Judaizers are saying to follow is the very thing that showed me that I was a sinner. Why would I go back to that stuff? I already know I'm a sinner. I know I can't keep the Sabbath. I know I can't do this. I know I can't do that. I know I'm going to have to sacrifice another bull for that. I know this. I know that. And Jesus Christ paid the price for all of those things. Why would I go back to that if I'm alive in Christ and dead to the law. Why would I do that? He's saying it makes no sense. Why would I go back to what my culture taught me was acceptable for my family, but it's not going to make me in favor with God? Why would I do that? Why would I choose some secondary religion over a true relationship with Jesus Christ? Let's look at the next verse. And this is where he says it. This is what faith alone in Christ alone is all about. This is why we we follow those who preach the gospel. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me, and the life I now live in the body, I live by the faith of of, of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I am not me anymore. I am who God made me. I am the one that God saved me to be. I didn't just find myself. I wasn't some diamond in the rough. I was a piece of coal on my way to hell. I'm not renewed. I'm not changed. I've been converted. I am a new creature. God wasn't waiting for me to find myself. He found me and changed me. I will never be good enough, but he makes me everything. That's why our identity has to be in Christ and not who we see in the mirror. That's where our identity has to be in Christ and not what our past was. I only live because Christ lives in me. And the only reason Christ lives in me is because he loved me and he gave himself for me. I did nothing to deserve this. I did nothing to earn this. It was only by the grace and mercy of God. So I don't set aside the grace of God. I, why, how could we? How could we set aside the grace of God, the unmerited favor, the supernaturally enabling? How could we set those things aside if it's the thing that we only live by now? We can't set it aside. It's the only thing that keeps us going. For if righteousness, and then he makes the other argument, if righteousness comes through the law, if we have this justification, right? If that really comes by us following a bunch of rules and regulations plus loving Jesus, then Christ died for nothing. Honestly, the question that chapter 2 begs is, what's the point? If it's not by faith alone and Christ alone, What's the point? And this is why he's trying to teach them. There's a way for you and I, brothers and sisters, friends, there's a way for you and I to recognize 
who we should be following. There is. First and foremost, and central to our life, we follow Jesus Christ alone. But as we follow Jesus Christ, Jesus will put people in our life that God is going to use, people that God will put in places of leadership and and specific callings and specific ministries in order to, to enable you, empower you, and encourage you in your journey. Faith alone in Christ alone doesn't mean that every single one of us is always at the same level of spirituality, so you don't have to listen to anybody but Jesus. Because if you listen to Jesus, he's going to tell you to listen to certain people and also to not listen to certain people. And that's going to be the choice that you're going to have to make. How do you follow the right type of people? We follow people who add nothing to a relationship in Jesus Christ. We follow people who encourage us and help us get further in our spiritual life by not only living life with us, because doing life has become this big thing, right? Doing life together, it is. But if we do life together without getting into the Word of God, then both of our lives are going to be a wreck. So you can do life together, but make sure you're doing it inside of the Word of God. Seek out people who know the Word. Seek out people who know what it means to be in your faith. And my friends, I know we have access. I know we have so much access, more than we ever have had in any type of society to a lot of stuff. But there's a reason why the 99% of the New Testament is written to the local church. You have a church family here that would love, love to help you on that journey. Don't do this alone. Don't do this outside of, 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 of the, the beautiful family that God has placed us in. Paul made it clear this Galatian church needed to grow. And they needed to grow by making some decisions about who they were going to follow. They need to make some decisions about who, who they're not going to listen to. But a lot of them, because they've heard all of this noise from both sides, faith alone and Christ alone, or faith plus the stuff that I used to do, life could be easier if I did it this way, or if I, either way, they needed to kind of cancel out the noise and let the Spirit God the, guide them into what the Word of God is saying. And the Bible will always, you can, you, can, you can count on this, you can take my word for this. The Bible, the Bible's theme will also always be in faith alone, by Christ alone.